You're listening to the Bold Face Truth Podcast with Amy Green Smith, episode 432. You can find information on anything referenced in this episode at amygreensmith.com slash EP432. there. Check you out listening to self-help pods and working on yourself. Fuck yeah. Quick question. You know those situations where your boss asks you to take on one more thing or your partner asks what's bothering you and you respond with a bold-faced lie? Oops. What would shift for you if you actually started telling the bold-faced truth? Everything. Listen, if you struggle with people-pleasing, perfectionism, and you could use some help with boundaries or speaking up, you are in the right place. Thank God. I am Amy Green Smith. I'm a certified and credentialed life coach, hypnotherapist, and keynote speaker. Fancy. And I've been working in the personal development space since the mid-2000s. Vintage. Sometimes I'll be solo. Other times you'll hear from smart folks offering you easy to implement tools to help you tell the bold faced truth. Yes. Well, hello, pod people. Amy Greensmith here. And I'm going to be talking today about a really cool topic that I don't know as if we really underline much in our culture and in our society. And I was trying to think, have I ever done a podcast specifically on getting your needs met? And I realized that I did do one years and years ago, probably like nine years ago, y'all. It was one of the first episodes I did. Totally outdated. So much other nuance and info that I want to share with you. So stay tuned for that. Next week, I'm going to be sounding off on a solo episode where I talk specifically about getting your needs met. But before we jumped into that, I wanted to bring on a guest expert who really has created a space in her corner of the internet, in her corner of the ether, where she's talked about needs. So Mara Glatzel is a colleague of mine. In fact, my bestie and I, uh, Andrea Owen, if you are familiar with Andrea, Andrea and I did a, a event, I guess, years and years ago. It was probably about 10 or 11 years ago. And Mara was one of our guest speakers. And I haven't had the chance to really connect with her over the last decade. I've just kind of seen her, you know, in the periphery. When you're in sort of this expert space, you you kind of know of what people are doing and and what they're what they're up to. But it really is so awesome when you can connect with somebody and really get their expertise on what they've been cultivating in their life. So I knew that I wanted to introduce Mara to you all, and I am going to give her a call here in a second. I'm hoping that I can get her on the phone. She's got two young ones that she is always running after, so I'm hoping that it's a good time. But let me just tell you a bit about her with the intention that we will get get her on the line. So she has a master's of social work. She's an intuitive coach, a writer, and a podcast host, which, by the way, I'll definitely bring this up with her, but her podcast is called Needy. And she even says this in her bio description. She is a needy human who helps other needy humans stop abandoning themselves and start reclaiming their humanity through embracing their needs, honoring their natural energy cycles. Her superpower is saying what you need to hear when you need to hear it. 
hell yes. You know I'm all about like you got to say what you need or there's a 100% chance you are not going to get it. (laughs) And she is here to help you believe in yourself as much as she believes in you. And you can find out more about her over at maraglatzel.com. I'll definitely throw that into the show notes. And please be sure to check her out. She also has a really cool needs assessment that is a quiz that you can take on her site, and we'll link to that in the show notes as well, that really helps you identify what are some of these needs that maybe I've been overriding or dismissing or even all out abandoning and putting all of my energy into everybody else. Does that sound familiar? Hello. So let's give Mara a ring and see if we can get needy. Hello? Mara, hey, what's up? It's Amy. Oh, hey, Amy. Oh, you saved me. I'm just like collapsed on the floor in my kid's room in the middle of so many Polly Pockets, so many small pieces. I need to take a break. (laughs) Thanks for calling me. Not the Polly Pockets. So many Polly Pockets. (laughs) I don't envy you, my friend. Oh, my goodness. So sounds like sounds like you could use some adult conversation. Yeah. In a big way. <laughs> okay, perfect. So I've been o- over here hanging out with the audience, and we've been talking about communication inside of relationships and needs. And I knew that I had to call you up because you are so astute and s- such an incredible resource around understanding our, our needs as, as humans. So do you have a handful of minutes that we can kind of discuss this a bit? Yeah. I love to talk about needs. Let's do it. Okay, let's do it. So I know you have a podcast that you very intentionally named Needy, which I absolutely fucking love. And I understand that your dad didn't really love that moniker and thought that, oh gosh, please don't write a book and name it, name it Needy as well. I think you missed the mark. But can we talk about our aversion to the concept of being needy and how we need to kind of reframe that. For me personally, as, as a fat person, this feels really similar to the reclamation of the word fat as just an adjective, right? It doesn't really mean anything in any direction other than it is an apt adjective for the physical size of my body. And it doesn't have any meaning except for the meaning that we socially bring to it, which of course is like a boatload of meaning and needy is really similar. It's like, we are all needy. We are all needing things all of the time. Literally every single decision that we make is based on an attempt to meet a need that we are having all day long. And yet there's this idea, which only applies to women and people who identify as women or, you know, on the, the femme centric end of the spectrum, you know, who do a lot of the emotional labor who are socialized to need to be more appealing by being more chill and more, you know, aloof and being able to take care of themselves. And should they need other people that makes them needy. Mm -hmm. And for me, the kind of like epitome of this neediness that always comes to mind is in how to lose a guy in 10 days. 
Mm. Uh, Kate Hudson like has like the love fern and she's like in the house and she's like, oh, like schnookums. I'm like, I'm, like, it's like so like <laughs> gooey. And I mean, of course, this isn't really a perfect analogy because she's Kate Hudson. She ends up getting the guy no matter how needy she is, which like is again annoying. So for the rest of us mere mortals who are not Kate Hudson, we can't have needs because that makes us undesirable. It makes us inconvenient or complicated. And there's this subtle underlying message that we should make it as easy as possible for people to be in relationships with us. Right. And I do all of my work to kind of break apart this idea of what it means to be a human who has needs, what it means to take responsibility for our needs. And really this like gooey neediness that we're all trying to avoid is predominantly what happens when we don't take responsibility for our needs, when we put them on the people around us. And when we expect that, you know, they are going to be able to read our minds or, you know, when we're not in a place of self-responsibility as it comes to our needs. And we're just really offloading our, our neediness onto the people around us in a way that, um, can be burdensome. I mean, it can be, we've all had people in our lives who are asking us for things over and over again, that we don't have the capacity to give to them. And it's that feeling of this person needs a lot from me that I don't have the ability to, to give or to show up for. And so without tools to identify our needs, figure out how to have these conversations, figure out how to know what we have the capacity for or not, we are all sort of like mucking around and there's a ton of misunderstanding that's happening. You know, there's, there's so many little pieces in there that I want to dig into, but one of the things that is coming to mind, there's a great anecdote that Brene Brown talks about a lot on her podcast and possibly in some books as well, where she talks about being at odds with her husband. She goes to a therapist and she says to the therapist, you know, well, the therapist kind of poses, have you told him these are the things that you need? And she responds with something that I think many of us can feel very familiar with, which is I shouldn't have to tell him if he loved me that much, he should magically know. And the therapist then very astutely responds and says, it sounds like you don't love yourself enough to advocate for what you need. And I, perhaps I'm kind of butchering that a bit. But I think it's really interesting about these societal narratives that we buy into, right? One is that our partners need to magically be soothsayers and fortune tellers and be able to read our minds, which is a huge fallacy, I think, largely imparted to us by romance novels and Disney and all these other bullshit narratives. But then we also have this societal concept around the too much, right? You're too emotional. You're too sensitive. You're too much, right? And there's that great sort of feminist quote that's flying around right now of like, if I'm too much, go find less. And I, which I love the concept. And I also think there's a way in which we need to elevate our communication and our personal awareness and even understanding what the fuck is going on with us so that we can actually advocate for it. So I'm curious, how do you go about helping people 
identify, articulate, and then advocate for what the hell they're feeling, what their needs are. What's that exploration like? Yeah. So I always really recommend that it begins with your relationship with yourself. And of course, <laughs> you know, people never want that to be the answer. <laughs> they want it to be easier, right? Because we are wanting our partners to, you know, like, I want my partner to know all the things about me so that I, you know, so that it's easy. Right. And yeah, it's complicated because too, you know, there's, there can be so much, some, so much insecurity underneath here that's lurking. It's like, well, what does it mean about me that my partner isn't just meeting my needs? Like maybe I'm not worth having my needs met. And so when this is left in a vacuum, it's just circling around. It's like, I don't meet my needs. My needs don't get met. My partner doesn't magically meet my needs. So that means I don't deserve to get my needs met. And I'm just cycling through this in my own private hall of shame. Yes. And so working in community, and this is the whole reason why I started my podcast to begin with was because I was like, I need to get some people talking about needs because my clients would always say, you know, I've never heard anyone talk about their needs before. And, you know, this was about five years ago when I started my podcast and I'm so grateful that things are really changing and more people are talking about needs, but you know, still that cycle of shame needs to be interrupted and doing the work with yourself around, you know, Hey, what do I need today? And what's the most doable way that I can meet that need and really familiarizing yourself with yourself and with your needs before you try to go and advocate for them in your relationships for two reasons. The first is you got to know what you need if you're going to ask for it. And the second thing is if that person that you ask doesn't have the capacity to help you meet that need, you're going to need to know what you need when you feel disappointed, you know, whatever it is that you're feeling that, that enables you to tolerate their response. Because at, especially at this point in the pandemic, a lot of our partners aren't available emotionally or energetically to meet us in our needs. And it is too easy and convenient to make that mean that we're not good enough or our need wasn't, you know, good, or we shouldn't have asked for it, or that that person doesn't love us because they can't meet us in that need when really they might just have a whole lot going on that has nothing to do with us in that moment. Sure. So, you know, we need to have kind of the intact relationship with ourselves for both the ask and then also tolerating the person's response to the ask, particularly if, you know, it's a no, which sometimes it will be a no doesn't mean you shouldn't have asked. It doesn't mean you shouldn't ask again. And it is an opportunity to then partner with yourself and meet whatever needs are arising. Right. Maybe I asked my partner for something that I was really wanting, needing, and hoping that they would, you know, meet me in. And they said, no, and I'm really disappointed. Right. So what do I do now? What do I need now? And all of that work, that before and after work happens in the realm of your relationship with yourself. And so however intact that is, it's just going to be easier to maneuver. You're going to feel, have more intuitive connection. You're going to have more skills. You're going to have, you know, I know what I need when I feel disappointed. And so when I feel that way, I kind of have like a little list of things that I can at least start with. 
And that comes from that practice and that repetition of asking yourself. You know, I'm thinking about a specific situation that I've moved through with my partner. And this took us many, many years to cultivate. At the time, I was working in a really kind of high paced environment. And uh, my husband, I always call him Mr. Smith. He was, he's, he works in body work and a very specialized form of massage therapy that has a lot of energetic component. And so he's giving and giving and giving and giving. And also, talking a lot and explaining things a lot. So he would get home and I would get so excited to tell him all the things and use literally all my words I could possibly use. And he would, he would laugh and tell me like, you have a certain quota of how many words you need to get out in a day. And if you don't meet that quota, there's going to be hell to pay, you know? (laughs) So, so earlier on when I would have something that I would, something of merit, something that I would really want to discussed with him, I kind of disregarded whatever place he was in from the Mm -hmm. craziness of his day and the exhaustion and just really focused wholeheartedly on, I need to talk about this. And so I would ask him like, Hey, are you in the place where we can talk about this? And it took a while till I could really respect whatever his response was. And it took him a while to learn how to articulate it in a way that wasn't dismissive or shutting, shutting me down. So now we have a very great, a formula of it where I recognize that when I ask for the thing that I am not, uh, it is not like you have to give it to me. Cause I think sometimes we, it's a trick question, right? Like, ah, it's a trap. It's a trap abort mission, you know? And so we had to learn how for me to go into it and really be respectful of whatever the answer was like, Hey, babe, I would really love to talk through that with you. And it is important to me. I don't have the emotional space to be amazing for you right now. And he had to also learn that language to be able to, to say that to me. So as it relates to intimate partnerships, it can get really fucking dicey. So I'm Mm. wondering if, where do you see the intersection between expressing a need that you have and actually being manipulative. I'm thinking specifically of situations where one partner perhaps has a higher sex drive and they say things like, but I need this from you, but I need Mm -hmm. this. And perhaps they really believe that, or that really is a strong desire or need for them, but it comes across as you owe it to me. It's your job. It's your duty. Where, where's that? What are your thoughts on that intersection with needs and manipulation? Yeah. Well, first of all, I want to say, I love that you and your husband have that. Oh, that's like one of the best, like little scripts that I always work with people around. It's like, and, and the, what the partner says back is also really important. That piece of like, not right now but maybe, you know, in two hours or tomorrow morning when we have our coffee or whatever it is, like really revering the ask. I think that when a need becomes manipulative. So the, the thing with sex, which is really interesting is that this is always the need that my clients say like, well, I have this need and I couldn't possibly meet it by myself. Like that's a community effort, right? So I need (laughs) my partner to be on board when actually it, you know, a, a, a community effort is one way to meet a sexual need of which there are several. So, you know, 
I think that whenever it comes to a sexual, any kind of need, first of all, there has to be consent. And I love that you walk in and say like, do you have the bandwidth or capacity to deal with this right now? Right. I have taught my children, my children come in to whatever the kitchen, wherever I am and say, if you're available, <laughs> could you, or like, if you have the capacity, could I have some yes. orange juice right now? And I think that's a really important skill, which is funny yes. to hear like a little, like five-year-old say, but really important skill to not just walk into every room talking, which I totally do as my natural, you know, bend. So this has been a big growth area for me as well. You know, when it comes to sex, it can be manipulative. And, you know, we really shouldn't want to have sex with a partner who doesn't have the capacity or interest in having sex with us. But of course, like not everybody, you know, that's not important to everybody. Um, but it's a consent issue. I mean, if yes. you don't have a partner who is ready, able, and willing to meet that need with you, like with at least, a you know, faint excitement, um, then you really have no business in, <laughs> meeting that need together in that moment. Right. And it can be really tricky because, you know, especially the way that women are socialized to meet the needs of their partner within an intimate partner relationship. It feels like, well, this is my job. This is something that I have to do, whether I want to do it or not. And you don't have to do anything if you don't want to do it. That's right. And doing something when you don't want to do it only further disconnects you from your body only further disconnects you from like a vital and delicious and wonderful sex life. Like it is the exact opposite than, you know, what the aim that you're trying to meet part of this includes dispelling this idea of just because I'm in a relationship means that this person here or these people here need to be you know, ready, able, and willing to meet this need with me 24 seven. We have to begin to normalize this idea of, I want to have sex right now. And this person does not, and that is okay. And the more that we're talking about this, these needs and also honoring how vulnerable it can be to put yourself out there sexually to somebody who, you know, may not be interested in having sex with you at that time that second part of like, Hey, you know, I had a really hard day or I'm not feeling it right now. How about we either connect in this other way, which may be intimate, but not sexual, maybe something you're more available for, or connect in this way that you want to, but at this later time or date, there's a lot of nuance in here, but I really want to go hard for the idea that we do not owe anybody access to our bodies, especially if, you know, it's not aligned with what we need or what we have the capacity for. We, we have a sort of a, an agreement around that where, which by the way, I will say of the heterosexual couples that I know, it's not always the, the man who yeah. is desiring it. In fact, I've met so many couples where the woman's drive is significantly more amped up. And I think we buy into stupid societal narratives around that too. One of the agreements that we have around that is if we're, if one of us is not immediately in the moment and the other person is, is propositioning. And so we say, um, I would like to submit a sexual advance. And then the other person (laughs) says, um, your sexual advance has been accepted, (laughs) you know, 
<laughs> or I would like to take a rain check on your sexual advance. And so we have these, these ways that we make it really funny. John Gottman would call that turning toward one another versus turning away or turning against. So we sort of have this understanding of like, are you, are you interested in getting to the point where you would want it? Like, are you interested yeah. in either watching porn or me getting you turned on, you getting me turned on, or would you like some alone time to get ramped up and then give me a little yell? So we've kind of created these different methods. And then, so the person gets to decide, am I willing, am I in that place where I could get to that point of desire? Cause there's also this ridiculous fallacy around it, it should just be boom, boom. Yeah. I should just, <laughs> it should just be there. And so, so we've kind of worked out a little system and then it's, if I'm, if the one partner says, you know what, I really don't think I'm into it, then it's free reign for the other person to handle that themselves in a non-community, <laughs> a non-communal aspect. Before we continue, I wanted to take a quick moment to thank our sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and you know I'm a huge fan of therapy. I like to say if you don't think that you need therapy, then you probably need therapy. Because listen, without a healthy mind, being really, truly happy and at peace can really be a challenge. But the good news is that therapy really does work. So whatever you need help with, it is time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles and start feeling better, okay? Because you deserve to be happy. Here's the deal. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't even have to be on camera if you don't want to. Hello, introverts. I see you out there. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. They have over 20,000 therapists in their network, which gives you way, way more options than your immediate geographical area. And it's also available for clients worldwide. Much more affordable than in-person therapy. And you can start communicating with your therapist in less than 48 hours. So join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. In fact, a member of my family just started and totally loves it. It is always a good time to invest in yourself because you deserve it. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and the Bold Face Truth podcast listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash bold truth. That's betterhelp.com slash bold truth or enter the code bold truth at checkout again to save 10% off your very first month. So before we continue on, I wanted to ask a quick favor from you. Do you ever listen to the pod, and I think this might happen for you, where you think, damn, I really wish so-and-so could hear this. Maybe it's your coworker who could actually use a lesson or two on boundaries, or maybe it is a women's group that you're a part of where everyone is super on board for speaking up for themselves, but nobody really knows what that really sounds like. Okay, where well, here's where you come in. I have three battle-tested and badass keynote speeches that are ready to be delivered to your company, organization, group, association. So if you, your community, or anyone you know could benefit from me rocking the mic, like who can use some new tools, right? Please send them over to amygreensmith.com slash speaking where you or they can message me directly about specific needs for the audience. Shocker, the three keynotes are focused around speaking up, 
contending with fear and accessing enoughness. And all three of them can be delivered either in person or virtually, and of course, can be completely customized for specific audience needs. So again, simply send them to amygreensmith.com slash speaking, where they can get in touch with me because listen, it is time that women everywhere have the tools necessary to use their voice, take up space, and advocate for their wants, needs, and opinions, like yesterday. And if you end up orchestrating an opportunity for me to speak with your group, you will officially get unlimited squeezes from me. (laughs) And I'm sure you're all in now. And be sure to let them know that I can always temper my... colorful language if needed. And thank you. All right, let's get back to the show. Even if we take something outside of even sex, right? Because I I hear that that phrase of like, well, I've got needs, you know, kind of that floats around. But what if we're talking about even needs for a lot of emotion, Like, I need you to be really vulnerable with me. I have that need, or I really need somebody who is constantly working on their own personal growth and development. You know, there might be a values difference there. How do you navigate those needs when it might be incongruent with some, your partner or sibling or a family member without making them wrong, without shutting them down and saying, well, it's my way or the highway. One of the things I'm really grateful for right now and the way that a lot of this conversation is moving um, is that we are moving away from an idea that one person should be able to meet all of our needs, which... Yes. Thank you, Esther Perel. (laughs) I used to absolutely believe that myself and long for that, that idea of like this one person who's going to be able to meet all of my needs. But, you know, it it is impossible. And so... Can we have really fulfilling relationships where aspects of ourselves are being met in other corners of our life? You know, I am an extremely emotional person who loves to do self-work, loves to talk about it, and just loves to process about (laughs) everything and anything that is happening around me. My partner could not be more different. Wow. And you know, just grew up in a family where they like very close, but didn't talk about feelings. Like that's just not, you know, they're not like big feelers. It took me a long time to unravel this idea of like, oh my gosh, you know, do I need to make this person into a feeler? Which like I tried, I tried that. You always (laughs) got to give it a good effort. (laughs) It didn't work. Um, was miserable for, for all of us. And really it's that meaning making of, you know, what does it mean if I, this, my emotional needs in this way aren't being met because my partner doesn't like having like four hour long conversations about what does all of this mean and how do we feel about it? And when you, you break apart that paradigm, that one person is supposed to be able to meet all of your needs. You think like, wow, okay, amazing. Right over here. I have a sister, two sisters, and, you know, best friends who want to talk about all of my feelings all of the time. How amazing. And that, you know, our needs can be met in many different places and many different ways. And, you know, of course this, 
you know, people have relationship arrangements where sexual needs are being met in this way too. So, you know, that's kind of like on the table as well, but you know, that there is this understanding between you and your partner or partners about what the ground rules are with that kind of thing. But I think when it comes to emotional needs, it's so beautiful to have a community of people that are meeting different parts of your needs in different ways all the time. Sometimes you really want to be met like that in your intimate partner relationship. And that person's not available to meet you like that. And that means not that there's anything wrong with you. Not that that means that there's anything wrong with them, but it, it might not be a good fit or at least not a good fit right now. It's such a personal choice for how much you, how much space you want to give to that, how much time you want to wait, how, you know, you want to get creative about different ways to meet your needs. But you know, the bottom line for some of us is like, Hey, a different relationship might be a better fit for not just me, but you. And really the bottom line of like, that doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with either of us because I see a lot of goodness being, um, applied to like doing your work and doing this and being, you know, being emotionally vulnerable, but somebody doesn't have to want to do that mm-hmm. just because you do. Like, it really is okay for us to all move at our own paces, but it might mean that we're at a mismatch or at least at a mismatch for right now. And I think mm-hmm. then, you know, we get to choose, is this sort of the relationship that I want to be in or not? Right. I found it so poignant in, I believe it was in Mating in Captivity by Sarah Perel, where she talks about it being a relatively new concept that I probably about since the seventies or so that we started to depend on our partner to be all of the things. And if you look back to, I mean, even at the inception of marriage is all about wealth and joining of families and the concept of love wasn't even really, I mean, women were pretty much property, right? So this, this place that we've gotten to over the years, you know, we see how relationships were in the fifties and your part, it still was very much almost like a business relationship where, I mean, not for everybody, of course, but where women had their social circles, men had their social circles, but it wasn't necessarily, this person has to be absolutely everything to me. And that's something that I've really, myself and Mr. Smith have really worked on because there are certain things that I really want for him, but I don't want to be that for him. Like a, like a sense of adventure and spontaneity that fucking stresses me out. I am, I'm a Taurus. I'm grounded. I'm a projector like you (laughs) in human design. I want to, I want the stability. I need to know all the information. I don't, spontaneity stresses me the fuck out, but he loves it. And so I want him to have those friendships or those outlets where he can tap into that. And I think in those types of situations, it's easy to go, oh, we don't have anything in common or, oh, we, she doesn't like to do this, or he doesn't like to do that or whatever. And recognize that to me, what it comes down to is can I really thrive inside this relationship and get this particular need met with a different relationship or a different community and be okay with that? Like, does that feel enriched and fulfilling 
or do I really feel like I need this met from an inter- intimate partnership? Mm-hmm. And then that yeah. kind of becomes the, that barometer a little bit for me. So let me, let me switch gears a little bit and just talk semantics for a second. I've heard you talk about identifying the difference between wants and needs as, you know, wants being things that we desire needs being things that we require. How does one really get down to what the fuck the difference is? Yeah. I'll, I'll stop there. In some ways it doesn't matter because both are important. Okay. And what I find is that people tend to be really granular about this because they're like, I have about this much and I need to know what's prioritized. And if I'm like, I need to know if it's a need because then I'm going to let myself have it. But if it's a want, that's like a bridge too far. Oh, like it's gluttonous. Yeah. It's like we have, we, you know, (laughs) we need both for a fulfilling life. Absolutely. And the way that I think about it is a need is like, I really, I really require this for my, like the structural integrity of my wholeness for my thriving, for my ability to continue to be here. And the want is the thing that kind of like rounds it out and, and makes it, um, you know, personal preferences can fall in there and pleasure and all of these pieces. And both are really important. But when it comes to needs, it is really powerful to think about what you require of yourself to just keep showing up each day of your relationships in order to be here and to feel good. And, you know, thinking about it as a requirement versus like, Mm -hmm. I require nothing, but it would be great if I had like this much allowing yourself to fully occupy that space of like, Hey, because really what you're saying is I matter, right? You know, I matter in my own life. I matter in my relationship with somebody else. I matter period. Hmm. And so, you know, (laughs) the difference between wants and needs, I always, it always really stands out to me because you see you just see sort of like how pressed people are. It's like, I will allow myself this much, what will fill in this little, you know, hole. And that is, that's enough. You know, I'll tell my clients, like, think of as much rest as you think that you deserve and multiply it by four. And that's probably closer to what you need. You know, like what we need and want is so far outside of the bounds of what we allow ourselves, generally speaking. And part of that is that we don't have a vocabulary for what it is possible to need and want. So many of my clients come in the door saying that they're tired and they need rest. And rest is like the label that we put on this feeling of being needy. Mm-hmm. And it's like the socially acceptable understandings. Like we, well, I am, you know, I'm like bone tired, but you might be spiritually tired or creatively tired. You know, you might be experiencing that exhaustion from so many different needs not being met. And, you know, I'm all for rest. I think at this stage and, you know, late stage capitalism, we're all pretty tired at this point in the pandemic, we're all pretty tired. So if you feel tired, you're probably tired. And also, you know, what is that exhaustion a convenient cover for, you know, what else do you need that, 
brings you alive or makes you feel, you know, structurally intact or excited about your life. And those are needs too. You know, it's not just like, I need water, I need rest, I need to move my body. Um, You know, it's also, I need to be in community. I need a felt sense of belonging. I need to contribute to the world in meaningful ways. I need to celebrate, you know, these aren't just like the way out there things that we get to once we're at the bottom of the to-do list. Like those are true needs. You have, you know, spiritual needs, you have community co-regulation needs that, exist and matter. Right. And what is so important is knowing what you need and validating those needs in your relationship with yourself, even if you do not have the capacity to meet them is Mm -hmm. essential. Too often we put a cap on like, oh, you know, in the pandemic, I can't do the thing that I really want to do. So I'm not gonna, I'm just going to like close off that doorway until things change. Well, we have been here for several years. Things are not changing. So what are we doing with all of those closed doors? And I think we need to open them and get really creative yesterday because we can't wait until circumstances change while keeping ourselves just so closed off. And I'm a Pisces and I'm a projector. (laughs) So I love getting really creative about how to meet those needs. I understand that's not everyone's strong suit, but at least getting curious about it. How else could I meet this need? This is really, really fascinating. And I think this, there's a little bit of a perfectionism thing here and, and just sort of the way in which our, our minds create stories of, okay, community has to look this specific way. Creativity has to look this specific way. So I'm going to shut the door on all community on all creativity, unless it looks a very specific way. And sometimes that's social conditioning. Sometimes that's perfectionism, right? Like, oh, I can't work out in the same way that then forget it. And to find that nuance and to go, okay, the need is still there, but perhaps we need to tweak the method. We need to get creative with the method. So this, this dovetails nicely into a conversation around self-care, which I know is something that you talk about extensively. And I want to talk about the connection between self-care and needs. So two, two things. One is the way in which we see self-care depicted as sort of a buzzword in the personal development space. I know you and I are very aligned on that. In fact, I did, I did a pod, we'll link to it in the show notes around what self-care really means. And we talked about recreational, environmental, spiritual, and physical, so that there's a very well-rounded way that we have to take care of self. So talk to me about the sort of the misnomer of self-care in the personal development space and how that relates. That's the second thing of how that relates to needs. Um, I love the way that you talk about self-care um, and I do agree, <laughs> you know, it's largely bullshit the way that we talk about self-care. It is. And it's really unfortunate because what I see in a lot of the people that I work with is we're so burnt out on quote unquote self-care that we think, oh, well, this doesn't work as in doesn't make me feel better. So I just, I'm going to get back to work and, you know, button down. 
just like needs is like, we all need care of multiple forms. And the problem with the way that self-care is being sold is that it is so prescriptive. And the idea that we might individual, you know, humans all need the same like bucket list of things that's on that, you know, whatever listicle that you read, uh, is ridiculous. I, hate taking baths. It makes me feel like a lobster. Um, <laughs> I, there's a lot of those self, I hate the smell of a scented candle. Mm. Um, if these things are for you, I am loving that for you, but not for me. And really when it comes to the interaction between needs and self-care is that true self-care is responsive and it is responsive to your needs. To self. Yeah. To self. And so you know, the way that I like to think about it is checking in with myself. When I think about what's my self-care going to look like today, I check in with how I feel, what I need based on how I feel and what is doable or possible within the, the confines of what my day looks like. So I may wake up feeling anxious or tired I may need more space and more gentleness and more rest. And then I'm gobsmacked with the reality that I am a business owner and parent of two children under the age of six who are watching Encanto for the 17th time today. And up to my eyeballs in Polly Pockets. Really loud. There's a lot of Polly Pockets, right? So what is doable for me today looks really different than what was doable for me seven years ago or several years from now. So, you know, and that doesn't mean that my need for rest doesn't matter right now. It matters hugely. And so that's when I get to get creative. It's like, well, where could my need for rest be met today? Mm-hmm. One of the things that's really restful for me is going out in nature for a walk. That's something that's a more active rest. And I always end up with more energy than I walked out the door with. It's really rejuvenating. The dog, I got a dog, the dog needs to be walked. So ergo, I am meeting that need for rest while taking this dog for a walk, which needs to be done. Maybe I'm, you know, telling my partner, I need a period of time away from the children in the afternoon to literally take a nap or just be in a dark room. That's quiet by myself, you know, thinking about it from that perspective. And that is the self-care, right? The self-care is responsive to how I feel and to what I need. It's not to say that those kinds of self-care menus don't have merit because I really think that they do. However, unless it is a self-care menu that you have personally created for your own person, it's not, it's worthless because it's just filled with a bunch of things. Sure. You might try them, try things out. You might like it. You might not, but the more that you, uh, build into your relationship with yourself, the better understanding that you're going to have of what feels restful and restorative to you personally under whatever circumstances. And so I think that that's the place where self-care really misses the mark. It's like, it has to be this special thing that's done. Usually it's expensive. There's like a privilege aspect to accessing it. It's seen for those people and not me. And it is this like uh, optional thing that maybe we get to at some point versus- Yeah. Versus this conversation, an essential conversation about what do I require 
in order to feel as good, as whole, as healthy, as happy as possible today. Yes. And that's, that's the care that's, you know, that I'm having that conversation with myself in two minutes. This is not a lengthy conversation in two minutes, every morning. It's like quick little check-in feel really dehydrated. Got to remember to drink more water today. Okay. And go, you know, it's not, it's not something that you need like a 47 point morning ritual to obtain this information. I really appreciate the way that you've articulated that. There's so much of vastness to who we are and to what our needs are. So you, you touched on this a little bit earlier and I want to kind of end with this. If you are somebody who is, let's say very type A or very high achieving or has a huge value around productivity, I find for me personally, that there's always a dance between honoring that part of me and then also letting go of sort of this capitalistic patriarchal society that really values people for their production. How much can you produce, 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 produce. Therefore we glorify busyness. We glorify exhaustion and we wear it like a badge of honor. And then resting becomes labeled as things like laziness or stagnation. So for those of us who are kind of trying to strike that balance, how do you prioritize your needs and honor self-care? And perhaps you answered this a bit already. How do you prioritize that, but then also get shit done. Yeah. So I will say that I am an extremely naturally ambitious person. And so this has been something that I've been working on for the last couple of years. It's like, what is the patriarchy? What is white supremacy? What is capitalism? And what's Mara? And, you know, what I have found is actually the more that I've taken care of myself, the more that my ambition has grown and shown itself. What I thought of what I thought was ambition before was really me trying to meet my need for safety. So our most essential mm. need, our core, the, the core of the core needs is the need for safety. And I was trying to meet that need for safety through white knuckling everything, acing everything, being perfect all of the time, controlling everything around me, including my work. I was completely burnt out by that at one point to the point where I had to take a couple of months off and really reassess how I was taking care of myself. And in that interim time, since I've been tending to my needs, what has emerged is a much truer ambition. It is not actually easier. (laughs) I was like, oh, wow. Okay. So this is here, but my, even my ambition is like, I need to pace myself. One of my core self-care techniques is to prioritize things, pace myself and Mm -hmm. follow through because when in my business, you know, I was doing so many different things. I was never really well, that's not true. I was completing things, but it was just like also fragmented. And, mm. you know, I was still on that roller coaster of do a lot. And it felt really good to ride it all the way through and then get completely exhausted and then get up again and then ride it all the way through and then get exhausted. It wasn't sustainable to keep operating that way. And so now I, sometimes it feels like holding back, like my ambition, which is like a bunch of teeming horses, but I tell myself like, Hey, okay, you're going to have boundaries around your work. You're only going to work this many hours a day. You're only going to work in this way. You, even though you want to, 
you know, not work out today because you want to get right to work or not do that other thing. Cause you want to get right to work. It's like, these things really matter. And bringing myself into that kind of pace actually has expanded my capacity mm. just tenfold. I mean, the amount of things that I get done now are so I work so much less. I get so much more done than I ever did before. And it's because it's the whole system is really stabilized. It's no longer that like starts and stops and starts and stops and, Mm. you know, working through until you're totally sick and then you have to rest and all of that. And it's kind of boring. It's like developing a secure attachment with yourself. (laughs) It's boring to work in this very moderated way, but it's delightful too. And I think the more that we prioritize our needs, the more that we bring ourselves into the center of our lives and really like, don't forget to bring your body with you. Because for those of us who are really intellectual and ambitious, our minds will race way ahead of our bodies. And so you'll be in a project and you won't remember to get up and go to the bathroom or drink water or eat food, or your blood sugar will become totally unstable, or you'll drink too much coffee, bring your body with you. And check in with yourself periodically over the course of the day to visualize that idea of like stable energy all year round, Um, which may mean moving a little bit more slowly in the immediate sense, but you're going to keep moving versus that like roller coaster of start, stop, start, stop, start, stop. You know, I can relate to that so wholeheartedly. And I'm reminded, I don't know why this, this sort of analogy came into my mind, but I thought about how a lot of times the energy companies will send you a bill and they will say, Hey, notice that shit got out of control this month with your energy. How about you get on our plan where you pay the same amount every month so that you don't have these peaks and valleys in your energy bill. Like what a perfect fucking analogy is that (laughs) of like, oh yeah, let me get on this stability plan so that I'm not in this place of either total void or complete, just overabundance of energy. And, and I think that there's a way in which we've been conditioned to be somewhat addicted to that. In -hmm. fact, I remember I used to Mr. Smith would always tell me, this is your cycle. You go really, really, really hard on a project and then you fucking crash, like just crash. And in the last, I'd say the last decade or so, I've really started to probably five years, if I'm honest, really started to fine tune that of, okay, even though that hustle and that peak sometimes feels really energizing and exciting, I I'm at an age now where I can't tolerate the crash, mm-hmm. you know, like the season of my life can't sustain the crash without going into adrenal fatigue or, you know, some sort of massive physical issue. So I love this. I love this conversation. So we need to get on the sustainable energy. plan. Well, and something that I just thought of while you were talking was this idea of like, when you're on the sustainable energy plan, which I love you, you may face this conundrum of I'm done working for the day, but I still have energy left. Mm -hmm. And usually we're conditioned to like work until we're just flat out. And that deliciousness of like, I'm done with work and I have available energy to, I don't know, cook something, play something, knit something, whatever Mm -hmm. that you can use some of that energy for yourself. 
Mm-hmm. You can use some of your, your precious resources, your time, your energy, your attention for yourself too. It doesn't just have to be productive and, or altruistic. Yeah. And that like can a, be really yeah. lovely. Oh, this is great. Well, Mara, I know that you probably have some serious Polly pocket organization that needs to happen over there. So I'm going to let you go, but before we do, <laughs> before we do, can, can you just share with everybody, where can they find more of you? Just tell them all the things, tell them where to find you all of that. Yeah. You can come hang out with me. I like hanging out on Instagram. I'm at Mara Glatzel. Um, you can also dance on over to maraglatzel.com. If you're thinking like, what the hell do I need Mara? I have a quiz on my site for you and a resource that will help you. So come on over, play with the quiz, figure out what you need. And, uh, yeah, I'd love to hang out with you. What's your handle on Insta? Uh, Mara Glatzel. Okay. Perfect. Super simple. I know. I like to say I hang out on Instagram, like any self-respecting Gen Xer. (laughs) It's the Gen X platform of choice. Oh my gosh. Well, this has been so fantastic. We'll be sure to link to that in the show notes. I did take the quiz. It's phenomenal. I think it'll be quite astute at helping all of you nail things down a little bit. So I will say huge amount of gratitude and I will talk to you later, my friend. All right. Bye. Well, I'm hoping that you found that as incredible as I did. I really love having these thoughtful conversations about semantics and wording that we've used ad nauseum in our culture and in our society and how sometimes those terms are really outdated. In fact, I did a podcast a while ago about why selfish is the new black, and we'll link to that in the show notes as well. But that is one of those monikers that we have said, this is a bad thing to be. Tending to self, being selfish is a bad thing to be. Being needy is a bad thing to be. Being emotional or sensitive is a bad thing to be. And so I think the reclamation of these words is incredibly important. So I want you to think about what is a way, whether you can adopt this concept of I'm being needy. If that has too much of a negative connotation, think about what are the needs that I have in my life that I need to start advocating for? Or at the very least, stop dismissing and pretending that they're not actually a need. So I'm going to sound off on this a little bit more next week on a solo episode. And if you're interested on some of the uh, the communication aspects of this, the last handful of episodes have been a lot around communication and emotional intelligence, really tuning into how we feel in order to communicate a little bit more effectively. Last week in particular, I talked about the four different communication styles, which will very much influence how we speak up about the needs that we have in our life. So don't forget to catch those. And I will see you around these parts next week. And please remember, you are enough. Your voice matters. And go out there and speak your bold-faced truth. See you later. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Just one more thing. So these podcasts, it turns out, don't actually rate and review themselves. So I would be over the moon if you would leave a review, rate the show, subscribe and tell anyone you know who needs to start speaking the fuck up for themselves and if you do I will give you a mini pig just kidding but I will be so very incredibly grateful okay thank you bye